0: Have a Bible. Why don't you grab it, open it, turn it on? There's even a few spare Bibles in the back if you'd like to, to grab one of those. If not, we will have uh, most of the text that I will be referencing this morning on the screens behind me as well. We're gonna begin in Luke chapter three, and we're continuing a new series of teachings, a sermon series that we began last week entitled Life in the Spirit. If you're familiar at all with the New Testament, um If you want to get familiar with the New Testament, sort of like the the latter fifth of the Bible, uh, you'll quickly realize that the life of following Jesus, being a Christian, trusting him, learning to obey him, find your identity um, in being his disciple, it's not just a... A, a cognitive ascension. It's not just a list of things you believe. There is content to it. Um, there is truth. There is God's word. Um, but it's, it's also an experience. It's something that God invites us into that we, we might like walk with him through life and, and not just trust him in some sort of an abstract way, but in a very real way, in a way that's perhaps more real than, than anything that we might consider real In this life, God really wants to connect with us. And and he does that by his spirit or the Holy Spirit, as the scriptures say. In the same way that God came down in Christ and dwelt among people, um, he he left. But then Jesus says, wait, because I'm sending another. I'm sending the promise of my father, the Holy Spirit, God with us in another kind of way, in a similar way. And so we get to engage with God the same way that Jesus experienced relationship with his heavenly father through life in the spirit. Now you might be thinking, okay, all that sounds kind of good, but what exactly are you talking about? How does that work Monday morning? This is what we want to figure out. This, this, is, this is the point of the series. We're going to take a couple of months And thoroughly explore what the Bible means by experiencing life in the spirit and growing together in that. So that's what we're up to. That's what you've gotten yourself into this morning. Luke chapter 3 is where we're going to begin. Starting in verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. When the Holy Spirit descended, the voice from heaven came and said, You are my beloved son, and I'm pleased with you. For Jesus, I would argue, this is the beginning of life in Christ. The Spirit. This was the moment when Jesus himself came up out of the waters, an act of complete surrender under the will of his heavenly Father, the dove, the, the spirit who apparently must have appeared as some kind of a dove in bodily form. God only knows exactly what that means. The Holy Spirit descended, rested upon Jesus, and he heard those words from his heavenly Father You're my son, you're my beloved son. And I'm pleased with you. Jesus would go on to suffer. He would suffer rejection, betrayal, accusation, temptation, demonic attack, physical pain, emotional anguish, gross injustice, abandonment by friends and family. And yet... From this moment on, even enduring all of that, Jesus would never get turned around. He wouldn't lose his way. He wouldn't get confused. He wouldn't forget which way is up. He knew from whom he derived his security. He knew to whom he belonged. He knew who he was. He knew what he was living for. He had nothing to prove. He was secure in his father's love. Life in the spirit begins with identity. Identity. There's something about receiving the spirit, being immersed in the spirit. The New Testament actually has all sorts of metaphors for it. Receiving the spirit and in that moment, something of your identity is altered. And that's where life in the spirit Begins. When the Holy Spirit descends, God speaks to the one coming up out of the water You are my son, you are my daughter. I love you, and I'm pleased with who you are. Now, if you've been, uh, if you're a church kind of person, if you've been around for a while, if you know your Bible, you've probably heard a few of these points made before in a sermon here or there. But I'll say it again in case you've not heard it. This is where Jesus began. Okay, this isn't on the back end. This isn't after a whole life of, of, of hard work and, 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 and earning his, his, his place in, in the, the religious system of his day. It wasn't something he had built up to. It wasn't all he had done was to go down into the waters as an act of surrender. A declaration that he was here to only do the will of his heavenly father. That's all he did. And then he comes up and those words are spoken. He hadn't really done anything at all. But because of the work of the spirit, his identity was, was set. Formed, was secured in that moment. You're my beloved son, and I'm pleased with you. Could you imagine living your own life with those words constantly resounding in your soul? Could you imagine? I mean, you know, we've all got like, what, a dozen to a hundred voices going on in our head at any given moment in time? Is it just me? It's a crazy world we live in. I mean, the me- we're just constantly being bombarded. You can't even drive down the street. I mean, the billboards, we're all, I think, if I can speak for all of us, we're, we're basically all relatively immune to the messages. I and mean, They just go in and out. But, but we are constantly being subjected to a million voices as we just simply drive down the road. What if we got up every day and the voice that drowned out all others was the voice of our father that said, you're my child. Think about this. Let this ring in your head all day long. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I love you. And I'm pleased with you. What if that was, what, what, what if those were the words that set us up for the day? That, that put us on the trajectory for the work to be done. Because, of course, we get out of bed and we leave the house we have all sorts of things to do. And, in fact, uh, God actually has expectations of us in life. Oh, big time. He, he commands us to live a certain way and he expects us to, to trust him and to obey him. And he'll actually even discipline us when we sin. Like there's real consequences when we don't trust or obey our Heavenly Father. Our motivation for trusting and obeying God wasn't to somehow, like, prove ourselves or or earn something or, you know, just fight our way into the inner circle. What What if our motivation started from this place of security? The God who created the universe... God Almighty, the king of everything, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. What if, what if that God, what if the words spoken out of his mouth to me every morning was, I love you. I love you more than what you got up to last night. I love you more than what you might do later on today. I love you more than your mistakes. I love you more than your shame. I love you more than those words spoken over you when you were a child that made you feel dumb and ugly and unwanted. I am God Almighty. Listen to my words. Let them resound in your soul today. What if we lived that way? How awesome would that be? How awesome? Pretty awesome. So the origin story of life. Let's back up. The origin story of life according to Scripture in Genesis, the beginning of the story, we're told that God created a world that was really good. He created everything. He had vision. There was purpose. And there was, it was beautiful. And it was good. In fact, over and over, we're told that he did this and it was good. And he did that and it was good and it was all good. And he created the man. He said, that's, that's really good. He says, so it's not good that he would be alone. So he gives him a partner and there's a man and a woman, this, this beautiful picture of a, of a family beginning, and they're in relationship with each other, and they're in relationship with their creator, and it's all really good. And perhaps if you know the story, it doesn't stay good for too long because eventually for some reason, I'm still trying to figure it out, the man and the woman decide that they're going to trust themselves more than they trust their good creator. And so they decide to disobey God. And almost in a moment, it would seem anxiety and shame, fear enters into the equation, and everything goes wrong. It says that they were naked without shame, no need to cover up, pretense unnecessary, nothing to prove, nothing to hide, naked and without shame. And they sinned, they rebelled, they chose to take control. And it was like anxiety just entered in and crippled them to the core. And they began to hide. They began to blame shift. They began to play the victim card. And their relationships began to break down. Eventually, in just a page or two, a brother murders his own brother. And everything starts to fall apart. They start to hide. The two big questions... Our hearts are all screaming to have answered are number one, am I loved? And number two, do I matter? In the wake of the incident in the garden, the man and the woman end up leaving, questioning. Are they still loved? Are they still welcomed? Do they still count? Did, are, there, are their vocations still intact? Like there's these big questions left lingering and and it's as if we're, we're meant to, to enter into the story and, and, and realize, look well, this is my story. Like, this is how I live a good portion of my life, constantly wondering, am I loved? Am, am I valued? Does my life have meaning? Do I, is there a reason for me to get out of bed in the morning? And, and these are the big questions that we all in our own ways end up spending a good portion of our lives wondering in the wake of the garden fiasco. And so we're trying to get those questions answered. Are you with me so far? If we don't get those questions answered to those needs met by God, we will die trying to do elsewhere. Because so these are the the yearning of the human soul. Am I loved? Am I valuable? Do I matter? Like Do I actually have a for living. These aren't optional matters in life. We need to be loved like we need air to stay alive. We need to know that our lives matter because it's too difficult to simply go on treading water to merely exist without purpose or a reason to keep fighting. Isn't life a bit hard lately? If you don't know that your life matters... That you actually have a purpose, that God created you for a reason, has even created like good stuff for you to do. Eventually you just give up because come on, life's too hard just to keep up the facade. Like I need to know that my life matters. So how does the Holy Spirit help us? I want to take you guys to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. Those words, you are my beloved son. My daughter, they're meant for us as well. You could say, in Jesus. Those words are mine. The Holy Spirit wants to descend on you and your life, your heart, and transform your identity. So that the words that resound in your soul are in fact you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you, I love you and I'm so pleased with you. I would die for you, I did die for you and I would do it a million times again. This, this affects our identity, it sets us on a trajectory for life. Holy Spirit delivers me from the bondage of fear. What's your greatest fear? You guys ready to get depressed? Let's go there. What's your greatest fear? Let's reflect for a sec. What part of your life do you work the hardest to hide? Another way of asking the same question. Or how about this? What weakness do you work the hardest to compensate for? What aspect of your identity demands affirmation from the people around you? What causes you to feel The most insecure or the most defensive? What causes you to feel rejected by the people around you? If perhaps they're not even actually rejecting you, what aspect of your personality or skill set causes you to feel the most wanted or valued? By the people around you, just to flip it on its head? How valued would you feel if that gift or that persona was lost? What if people found out who you really were? How comfortable are you talking honestly about your fears and your failures? Last one. How much energy do you spend trying to become who you wish you were, versus resting in who God says you are? What is your greatest fear? I'm not gonna tell you my greatest fear. Fear itself. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. You received the spirit of adoption of sons and daughters by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, it's an Aramaic word which roughly translated means Papa or Daddy. It's a, it's a very intimate, it's not like Sir, it's Papa. Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit will argue with you about your identity if, in fact, you have received the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't merely affirm my little patchwork job of an identity, that persona or gift or funny or beautiful version of myself that I've spent my entire adult life trying to defend or justify or convince others to value. Let me say it again. The Holy Spirit doesn't merely affirm my little patchwork job of an identity, that persona or gift or funny or beautiful version of myself that I've spent my entire adult life trying to defend or justify or convince others to value. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to affirm my version of my identity. Because we all, we all go about our adult lives. Kids don't really do this so much. They still run around naked and unashamed. It's beautiful. Could you imagine as adults? Let's not imagine. <laughs> Sorry, if you're a nudist, I don't mean to offend you. We spend so much energy trying to uh, present a version of ourselves so that people will love us, so that we will feel valued, so that people will invite us into the, onto the team or onto the project or include us. And, and we think that if somehow I can convince people that I am skilled, that I am beautiful, that I am funny, I am who you want me to be. Then you'll, you'll have to love me. I ha- I'll have proven to you my value. And some of you are kind of good at it, and I, I don't hate you, but because I'm commanded not to, but it's frustrating for the rest of us that are like, look, I've tried that game. I've tried to be the smart, attractive, funny, whatever, and it's just exhausting. Like, I just want to be me, but it's too scary because I'm terrified if I'm not enough, then I'm not going to be invited. I won't be included. I won't be valued. I won't feel loved. I'm going to get left out. I'm going to be on the outside. And so I have to somehow show you I am who you want me to be. I am valuable. I am worth loving. And God comes along by his spirit, and he begins to argue with our spirit. He says, no, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've gone into the waters, you've surrendered to me, then when you come up, I get to redefine who you are. I'm not looking to affirm the identity you've constructed. I'm here to say that you were once dead, and now I'm making you alive. You're going to be born again. I think someone said that one time. Born again. You are going to become my son or my daughter, and you will know that you are loved. The very Spirit of God Himself will convince you of it. And you're an heir catch that bit the Holy Spirit bears witness that you are children of God in fact you are a child of God and if children then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ that's cool Has anyone ever inherited a lot of money could be because someone that you love died and that's actually not cool at all But an heir is a very specific kind of situation because you can't earn an inheritance. The only way you can receive an inheritance is if, in fact, someone does die. If your benefactor dies, then you receive the inheritance. In order to receive the love our Heavenly Father offers us through life and the Holy Spirit, someone has to first die. If you haven't figured it out, the hero of the story, once again, is Jesus. Because Jesus has died for us, we get to become co-heirs with him in the family of God. That means I'm secure. That means I don't only have to, I can't earn my father's affection. I can't earn the gift. I can only receive it because of he who died for it, for me. That's super humbling and utterly freeing. I can't earn my father's love. I can't earn my place in the family. I can't muscle my way inside. Jesus tells the story, my favorite parable, the parable parable of the prodigal son, the prodigal father, however you want to look at it. The son who asks for his inheritance prematurely and decides to go off in a far off land and splurge and enjoy life with the money his dad gave him and eventually He runs out of money and he realizes the real treasure is back home. And so he begins to make his way home and he has this whole, Dad, please forgive me and let me come back in the house. I'll just be your slave if you'll let me, speech all the way home. When he finally begins to approach the house, he's coming up over the horizon and we're told that the father who's been waiting for his son to come home, looks, sees him, begins to charge straight at him. He loves his son. Not because of what he has done, because of what he has has, has paid back or made up for. Because it's his son. He comes running towards his son. He wraps his arms around him and he kisses him and he cuts him off. Before he can even finish his, I'm sorry dad, will you please take me back speech? I'll do better. His father's not having it. He does say, you're my son. It's time to celebrate my son who was once lost, who was once dead. Has been found. He's alive again. He's come home. And he restores the son's inheritance. It's so scandalous. It is scandalous. It's humbling. It's humbling. That's our identity. Provided we suffer. How about that little bit at the end? I mean, what's that all about, provided we suffer? What? Provided we suffer with Christ? That Surely that's a typo. It's provided, with, provided we suffer. In order to receive the love our Heavenly Father offers us, in order to experience uh, the security that we're all longing for, through life in the Holy Spirit, we must suffer the loss of the counterfeit lovers of our soul this is where it gets tricky so we're all I think mostly adults in here There's a few infants wandering around you know before I was a Christian um, I was punk rock I think Christians way more punk rock than any I wasn't like really punk rock I thought I was punk rock this was the identity that I was trying to construct um I started playing bass when I was like 15, 16, and loved it. My dad played bass, so I kind of picked it up. It was loud, it shook the house, and um, got in my first garage band. We were called Milk Toast. Dude, <laughs> don't laugh, that's, that's, a, that's a dope name. Milk Toast, <laughs> top that. Dude, we had stickers made, and the A, of course, was an anarchy symbol. Super punk rock. And, uh, dude, we, we, were, we were awesome. We were hardcore. And uh, I remember our first gig ever. You know, our first gig. So I grew up in, in the Central Valley of California. Byron, our guitar player, worked at Burger King. So he got us a gig in the Burger King parking lot. It was a benefit show. And so I was punk rock. And when I became a Christian... I was, uh, I was playing in this band. I, I was in a number of bands over the years. And uh, when I was 24, I was playing with a couple of guys. Um, Andy Rose, he was living in Huntington Beach. Uh, Thad Kiggins, our drummer, he was, he was in the area as well. I was living in Long Beach at the time. And I became a Christian. Really did not work well for the band. Um, loved the music, loved the guys. Stuck with it, enjoyed it. I remember the night... Andy showed up to practice, and he was so excited, so excited. He said, "Guys, it's happening this this is our moment. I got us a gig at club rubber so if you've never been to club rubber, it's a strip joint in Orange county and I remember thinking to myself like, "Hmm, i don't oh gosh okay this is this is a tough one. this is a tough one. I feel like my world. I have a couple of worlds that are now." beginning to collide like what do I do what do I do um I would have loved to have gone and be like man this is what an opportunity I can be like I can just I can be me and I can bring Jesus and maybe there'll be an opportunity there I don't think I was quite ready for that I wasn't quite mature enough in my faith it would have yeah that wouldn't that would have been stupid but I began to realize that Jesus was wanting to fully reconfigure my identity And I had to let go. I had to let go. It was super painful. The identity that I had made for myself, that I felt quite good about, was beginning to like be gently but quite definitely taken from me. God wanted to teach me how to experience life as his child. And the sort of security and the attention, the affection, the value that I felt because the identity that I constructed wasn't a bad one. God wanted to take from me. I had to lay it down. I ended up playing bass in our praise and worship band at the church that Jesus stuck me in. And that was super cool. Um. Our father is the master of redemption. So he'll take something from you. Sometimes even like something really good, like a gift. Something that you've taken and used to build an identity out of. And he'll say, give it to me. That gift that was supposed to be used for my glory and for the good of the world, you've actually made some kind of an idol out of it. And now you find your security in it. You find your sense of significance and and worth in that thing. Heck, you have built a whole identity around it. Give it to me. You're like, no, 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 it's cool. Like, no, it's it's not an idol. What what does that even mean? You know, we slip it in the back pocket. And God's like, no, no, give it to me. Give it to me. And we wrestle, we fight, and we deny. and, And finally, God... He has his way and he takes it from us and it hurts it can even feel like wow just like the bottoms dropped out i don't even know who i am anymore like i actually feel a bit naked and exposed like I, i'm i'm just floating out here and god says now just just rest be still listen listen you're my son you're my daughter I love you. No, listen, listen, be still. No, put the bass down. Listen. So he starts to redefine us. But he's the master of redemption. And if we'll trust him, if we'll trust his timing, he'll give back to us, oftentimes, the thing he took from us in the first place. Give it back to us and say, now use it well, use it right, enjoy it. Don't make an identity out of it. Don't find your security in it. But enjoy it. Use it to worship. Use it to bless the world. Find your security in my love. That's where life in the spirit begins. Can we stand together, please? I want to pray for us and um, a couple things, and then we're going to close in a a song of worship. First of all, just really quite simply, if you're not a Christian, and I've kind of started out saying, like, if you're not, that's okay. I want want you to feel like you're welcome here. And I don't want you to be pressured to conform to something that you, you don't quite understand yet. But I do want to invite you to take a step forward. As we all take a step forward, but particularly if you're like, Look, I'm, I'm still exploring and I think I want to move forward, but it feels very like, what, "What's?" it feels risky. Heck yeah, it's risky. Ultimately, if you follow Jesus long enough, he's going to take you to the cross. Metaphorically speaking, he's going to ask you to lose your life. He's going to ask you to let go of everything so that he can give you what you're truly looking for. There's nothing more precarious than that. And I wanna invite you to take a step forward. Very practically, um, that step will more than likely involve like another person, a relationship, um, processing, talking, asking questions, uh, delving into the scriptures. Maybe it means filling out a connection card so you're like, put it in the box, submit it online. Be like, all right, you got my info. So I'm ready. Tell, tell me where to go. Introduce me to someone. If you are a Christian and you're like, look, it, I'm, I'm in, Jesus has got me, but, but I know that there's still more steps for me to take. So for you, I want I wanna challenge you as well. If there's an area in your life where perhaps even as I was talking this morning, you felt like the Holy Spirit saying, you know that whole thing about forming an identity around something or perhaps even someone that's not me, I want you to let go. I want you to call it what it is and let go. Tell someone, confess your sin to someone who loves you, someone you can trust. And repent that means turn away from whatever that thing was it's probably not like pure evil it's just a thing it could be a good thing but turn away from it set it down so that you can have hands that are open and free heart able to receive the love of the Father Father would you help us we thank you that you are good, and that it is truly your love, your words, your affection, your plans for our lives that we are all truly looking for. I believe that. I've experienced that. Would you help us, Lord, as we we consider what that means for our lives practically? There's something that you would have us... um, let go of maybe even just like admit it out loud, open up to a friend, and say this is something that I feel like I need to let go of, but I don't even know how. Lord, would you give us courage to to perhaps have that conversation? Would you give us courage to trust you and uh, with even more of our lives? Would you help us as a church family? Lord, to share your goodness with others. That as we grow in our own sense of security and significance, Lord, that we would be your people who are just out sharing your love with the world, inviting others to, to come home. Or not to condemn, not to judge, not to point the finger, but to simply say, you're welcome, you're welcome home. There's, there's space for you at the table. Help us, Father. Let's worship.